Chase, thanks so much for hosting us today. Welcome to Tech Points the Circuit. Um, we're excited to sit down with you and learn more about uh, the work you and Ship Sigma and your team are doing here at Indy. Um, but for our viewers and folks that uh, tune into this podcast, what is Ship Sigma? What do you do? Who do you serve? Great question. So we are a technology platform, um, but also uh, a service platform in many ways. So we help high volume shippers reduce their cost. And we do that in a myriad of ways. Um, the, the largest way that we're helping companies save money, it's uh, by sourcing new agreements uh, for them, procuring new agreements. Yeah. Um, so we're able to look at high volume shippers, raw carrier invoice data okay. to understand the true cost to serve of the carriers. Uh, so with that information, it's very valuable um, because we're able to use that uh, to go and source uh, more advantageous uh, agreements uh, for the customer. So they're able to reduce their costs without changing carriers, uh, without changing service levels, nothing operationally. Um, you, you have my upwards to 25.2% was our average last year. So that's significant. A, that's the first way we're saving people money. And of course, through actionable insights in the data, uh, we're able to help people uh, choose where to put distribution centers. You know, you tell them the exact latitude and longitude as an example. It's all in the data. So uh, the data is helping us drive these decisions. Yeah. So really kind of two-pronged there. One, you're working with the client in the front end to help them make sure they're getting all the value they want, but also the back end as well, ensuring that they can make strategic decisions. You know what? You hit the nail on the head there because uh, we have to keep adding strategic value to our customers to stay to stay sticky, especially with our value proposition because we're only paid when we save folks money. Uh, so we're not a consultant that comes in and says, hey, you got to write us a big check and then we're going to start working. Um, where I think that, you know, we've really hit, uh, you know, hit a, hit a button and been successful is, is our strong value proposition where we're only paid a percentage of savings. Um, so we have to do what we say we're going to do. Um, so we're always looking for ways to save money, uh, whether that's the distribution center example, um, or just finding anomalies in the data or ways to improve current processes that we see in the data. Um, so we're aligned very much with uh, the organizations that we work with. How does small parcel work like inside a uh, large enterprise and a large company? What does that look like? And and I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, what pain was identified there? It was just, what does that look like? So there's a lot of education that we had yeah. to give our clients because a lot of times they're not aware of the pain. Yeah. Um, and that's because if you think about parcel, that's a, it's a duopoly. There's UPS. And there's FedEx. Yep. Um, so you only know as much as UPS and FedEx are telling you um, because there's a lot of um, things that are hidden. You know, uh, all of these agreements that, you know, so you're an individual shipper, let's say. Your agreement is different than your neighbor in that same industrial park Gone. or your competitor in another state. Gone. I mean, you don't know what your neighbor pays and you don't know what your competitor pays. And this is one of the major advantages that the carriers have. You know, of course, you know uh, how valuable data and information is. And, uh, you know, I think when you have this duopoly like they have, uh, they're able to, um, you know, to kind of stay hidden. And that's where they like to live. Yeah. So, you know, many ways we're democratizing um, the, and, and giving visibility into parcel shipping. So you're really educating those clients and potential clients. You're probably making them pretty happy. Well, I think in some ways we're making them happy. I mean... Uh, there's not many clients we have that didn't say, Chase, look, we already have the best rates that, you know, it's not going to be able to do for us. Yeah. Um, 
great. You know, let's uh, let's take a look at that data. You know, click this button. We'll ingest the raw invoice data, and tomorrow we'll tell you how much we can reduce your costs. Yep. And you know, look, I'm hoping that we're able to tell you you have a great agreement. Plays there's nothing we can do. Yep. Um, but you know, nine times out of ten, there is an opportunity. We're having to go to that same person and say, look, we can reduce your cost by two point one million dollars. Yeah. So I, you know, a second ago I said sometimes we're making them happy. So of course they love that we're going to save them money. But at the same time, when we tell them we're going to save them two million dollars, for example. Yeah. I've seen people do the math, you know, people, stakeholders, organizations do the math and go, okay, so whatever paid $2 million last year, $2 million the year before. And it quickly has on. Um, so in some ways, uh, they're getting upset, but it's usually upset with the carrier, not with that. Yep. That's some shock value right there. I guess when you've, the example you've provided, when a potential customer sees that, um, that's something they want to change right away, and you're able to do that. Um, how long does that process take? Like, walk me through that. It probably varies per client, but. Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, and so we execute all of it. Uh, so in, in our engagements, yeah. uh, we're asking for three to four hours of time uh, from a point person at our client. Right. And that's it. We're executing everything uh, for the client. And, and, our, and who we're, we're communicating with, it's usually a stakeholder within the organization, CFO, a controller. Okay. We're having financial conversations. So we're talking to the folks that care about P&L, uh, that care about EBITDA. Yep. So we're generally not working with the BP of logistics or the warehouse manager. Um, it's kind of a different conversation. Um, we're talking about profitability because the easiest way to increase your EBITDA is through cost reduction. Yep. You know, it's faster than increasing your sales. Yeah. Yeah. So in the example you just provided, you started your career um, at as an intro to UBS. That's right. And uh, you spent the bulk of your time there, I think, in sales. That's right. And then, um, I guess I'm curious. So you worked in one of the largest companies uh, in the world. And um, now you run a high-growth, high-front startup here in the Midwest and in Indiana specifically. What planted that seed when you were working at UPS and said, hey, there's a better way. And I think I can make a company out of it. So I was always entrepreneurial, you know, whether that was... Uh, you know, is it selling candy, you know, around the lockers or starting a lawn mowing business? Uh, you know, just always curious about yeah. business and, and, and things like that. So uh, while I was at UPS, I had a successful Amazon, online Amazon business that I still have. Okay. Um, so that allowed for a little bit of uh, freedom. Uh, but at UPS, it was so great. I mean, you know, I always wanted to get my MBA right after college, and I didn't just, you know, UPS had me on this track. Uh, but I feel like I got my MBA, PhD, and doctorate while I was there. You know, I get to see into the supply chains and, and into so many different businesses, you know, understanding their emotional and economical drivers. And, you know, I think through that time, you know, you got to say, well, that person's doing it and that person's doing it. You know, I can do it and we, we have a team that can do it together. We'll, we'll go do it. Yeah. Um, and the doing it was, uh, you know, man, we're making UPS a lot of money here. Yeah. And why not go back to these same, you know, small, medium-sized business or enterprise-level businesses and reduce their costs and uh, just, uh, you know, do something equitable where we're just paid a percentage of actual savings. Yeah. You know, it just seemed like it made sense. Um, and it seemed, uh, and that's kind of the best part of what we do. You know, when I think about our mission, it's, you know, unlocking value in businesses and people's lives. Yeah. So when we lower somebody's cost by $2 million, yeah, you know, I give that example. Two, you know, we're seeing that money trickle uh, to bonuses or to hiring new folks or to retaining talent or to building a new warehouse. 
uh, so we see what those you know those dollars getting redeployed yeah. within organizations. Um, so it's been that bit pretty amazing. Yeah, entrepreneurial problem solving um, sounds like that's been the focus, and you saw others do it in different ways. And you said, "Hey, this is there's there's a there there. We need to give this a shot." What you mentioned specifically SMB and enterprise. Is there a sweet spot for y'all, or is it across the board? You know, there is a sweet spot. We we have found we work really, really well with people that are spending with companies that are spending between one and twenty five million dollars. And I think that's because you know, again, we're working right with those stakeholders. They're able to make decisions and be nimble. Right. Uh, and we've worked with yeah, you know, we work with billion dollar. Yeah. We work with the largest uh, you know pork producer in the country. Work with several publicly traded companies. Um, that, you know, the sales cycle is a little bit longer, um, it, and that's okay. Um, but, you know, when it comes to those, some of those actionable insights and, and uh, hey, if you change this, yeah. you know, it's, it, this is the impact, uh, you know, we're, we're finding we're able to really kind of insert ourselves into those businesses um, and kind of provide real-time feedback and, and really be boots on the ground for them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, th- that $1 to $25 million spend level with UPS or Redx has been an amazing spot for us. Success. So, what I mentioned before and what you articulated, entrepreneurial problem solving, trying to find value. How do we encourage more folks with experiences like yours? And specifically, what I'm what I'm getting at here is, you worked in a large company, one of the largest in the world. You saw these inefficiencies, and you discovered these opportunities, and you said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to try to solve some of these." How do we inspire our folks to do that? Man, I talk to the you know the externs at Tech Point and you know all these smart kids and these smart gals and, and guys. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I went and worked for a large company. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, there was a lot of great things with that. You know, with UPS, there was an SOP on when and how to go to the restroom. For example, they had everything down to a stop. Everything written down. Right. Um, and that's great. You know, learned so much from UPS, an unbelievable organization. Derived a lot. I wouldn't be where I am without yeah. that. Um. But I'd love to see, you know, these, these folks in college, uh, you know, maybe say, you know, I'm going to go to that startup. I'm going to go to that scale up yep. just because I think you can make an immediate impact. And, and I think that same person, uh, their trajectory of their career, you know, it just yeah. up and to the right. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to see more folks just go right to that startup scale up, make yep. impacts. Um, it, it, be entrepreneurial, be that, you know, you gotta be driven, you gotta be entrepreneurial, you gotta be ready just to tie it in, yeah. uh, without somebody saying, Hey, do this, this is exactly how you do it. Right. Um, so you have to, yeah, there's some creativity, you have to be a self-starter. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of our opportunity for those folks. You've been around for five years. The organization has give or take. And, um, in the past few years, you've seen huge momentum. And I have a look at the list to read them here. So, IBJ Fast 25, A5000, multiple category Mira nominee over the last couple of years. Both you and your co-founder are on the Forbes Business Council. Let me know if I'm missing any, but what do you attribute all this uh, success and growth to and inertia? Yeah, so, you know, it's the people that were surrounding ourselves. My co-founder, Damon, uh, you know, our, our president, Joe Jorgrup. Um, you know, if I have to list everybody, but, yeah. um, you know, we have a great talented team yep. and, you know, we're passionate about what we do and, uh, it's, um, 
we're passionate about high volume parcel shippers. Yeah. How great is that? Uh, so it's weird to say that, but we are, and people feel it. Yeah. It's infectious. Yep. Um, and I know it's infectious because we don't have a hundred people sales team. Yeah. Um, you know, we get inbounds graphic, we get referrals. So our clients are telling uh, their, you know, their business partners, or the folks that they're in groups and about us. So, you know, that's how our funnel gets filled is through referrals, through any of those networks. Um, and, you know, it's been our relationship in the private equity space. You know, 80 plus percent of our clients are portcos of private equity groups. Um, so, again, I think that aligns with, um, you know, usually the 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 driving factor of the, the private equity groups. It's to, you know, grow these, the portfolio companies. Right. And, um, you know, they're wanting to grow the bottom line. And, and we make an impact to the bottom line. And we do a very little time, effort, or energy um, from the resources of that company. So and th- that boy- that comes back to our value proposition. Yeah. You know, I think we add immediate, real, hard dollar uh, value to, to the client. So, um, you know, we're bringing it. We're doing what we say we're going to do. So speaking of growth, during what your company has been established in business, in 2020, we had an equitable inflection point just in the world. So um, we saw a huge widespread shift in 2020 to e-commerce during the pandemic um, and, and goods being delivered. From your perspective, how did that impact shift ship sigma? Because you started before 2020 and now continue to expand and grow. How has that changed the, sh- changed the shipping industry? So yeah, ship sigma and the shipping. Yeah, so we started building a product June 1st, 2018. I remember really well because, you know, uh, maxed out the credit card, was emptied the 401k to start putting all this money in this tech product uh, that we we're building. And, uh, you know, at that time, uh, there wasn't a pandemic, um, but people still wanted to save money. Yes. Um, and then with there was a pandemic, you saw people at home and the need for increased shipping to people's houses, right? And so um, we work with businesses, many of those are e-commerce shippers shipping to people's houses. Yeah. So we saw a major uptick. Um, you saw companies that that wasn't part of their strategy now having to make that part of their strategy and needing help to do that. And building those channels, it was new to them. Yeah. Um, so we were helping some of those companies. Yeah, we we did have a lot of clients that uh, started selling to PPE or, uh, you know, to add lab, laboratories. Yeah. Um, so we saw upticks there. Um, but there's also clients that were impacted negatively. Um, you know, I can think of uh, an Apple producer who misforecasted the price of apples and uh, already made a commitment at the price they were going to sell those apples at, on a shopping network and lost millions of dollars. Um, so there, there was pros and cons, but our growth isn't directly correlated to, to COVID um, or the pandemic. Um, fortunately, people want to reduce their costs in good times and is bad. That's correct. So from that, you're probably garnering a lot of data working with all of these customers. Um, where does that go? What does that look like? It's all about data. So we're a data-driven organization. We have about a billion dollars in live market data. So, you know, we're seeing what, you know, folks in Indiana are doing, what folks around the country, what folks internationally are doing. So you're seeing the the, the pricing trends, uh, the origin destination trends, you know, the the, the, the dimensions of buying. There's all of these things uh, become inter- interesting, especially when, when you enrich that same data set with, you know, maybe a weather API or whatever, yeah. um, information from, you know, the 10K reports from publicly traded companies or, um, you, you there's a lot of info. There's a lot of things that can be derived that we're working on. Yeah, they're still vertical to you know to shipping and what we're doing. Yeah. Um, 
but th there's a lot of different ways we can in uh, inject value. What are things potentially it'll look like two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, um, when it comes to the industry in a whole, what do things look like? Well, you know, they've been talking about robots and drones going to be dropping packages off your front door. We haven't seen that yet. Um, you know, we've, we've heard about Amazon being a player in the market for several years. We haven't seen that yet. Um, in fact, they've pulled back a little bit. Um, yeah, I, we rely on historical data at a lot of what we do. And historic, historical data will tell you UPS and FedEx are still going to be the, the giants in the room. Yeah. Um, and because it's, it's just hard to build up that infrastructure, right? Um, to, you know, to, in which you have to have that type of UPS or FedEx global footprint, global network, yeah. all of these assets uh, to deploy to to be effective. So it's just so hard to come in. We've seen people try and fail. We've seen people like an Amazon try and just if you look at the balance sheet, I mean, there's lose and mine billion of dollars, you know, in, yeah. in these efforts. Um, so yeah, they pull back. Um, so there's some regional carriers, right? So there's, uh, there's regional carriers in high density areas, California, Chicago land area, um, that the, those regional carriers relied heavily on the USPS. Uh, so we see how much the USPS loses every year and their prices are getting ready to go up. Um, so I think you'll see the, uh, this shipping increasing prices across the board, including the USPS. Um, but it, it's just not going to end every year. The, the number of e-commerce shippers. Uh, and e-commerce shipping it just increases dramatically. Right? We, we don't see it a, a shift in that. So continued large organizations in the mix, continued folks and customers and companies wanting things delivered and delivered a lot more quickly with more technology infused. Um, and that'll continue to afford opportunities to organizations like yours and others that work in that space. That's right. I mean, you said, you know, more quickly. That, that, was, that was a great point. Everybody... Once it's same day, so you you know you have the Amazon effect, right? Um, you know they made it. Uh, you know that's the thing, right? So yeah. now I have to have it the same day. If you don't, then I'm going somewhere else, right? Uh, so today, over about sixty percent uh, of folks when they, when they go online go right to the Amazon buy box. That's where they're going to buy stuff. Yeah. Um, and that Amazon effect has made people you know they need things the same day. Uh, so I think that's been great for the gig economy, right? I mean, you're seeing that, you know, Amazon have these 1099 contractors and people are able to, uh, they're, that's where we've seen Amazon expanding their network. Yeah. But very much through those 1099 contract networks. So Ship Sigma last year, um, planted a flag in India. You have an office that's just off the circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Um, you could have started this business anywhere. You could have done it different place. Why'd you choose Indy? Look, I mean, my roots are, you know, here at the south side of Indianapolis, Grove area. I uh, went to school here. Um, you know, there's so much talent here. So we had to play in our flight in downtown Inga. I mean, heck, we're right next to Tiki Bops. That's where we had to go, right? Um, so look, we're, we're down the street from the IU, from IDPY, they had a great informatics program. We have folks that we, you know, the tech point. So you're, have all this brain talent 10 minutes down the road. We're able to work with all the externs. Um, yeah, we work with you and uh, you've made some great introductions for us. We've been able to collaborate with TechPoint so well. Um, you, you know, that we, look, downtown Indianapolis has been just, you know, amazing uh, to us. We have so many privileged with DMAR organization and, yeah. and uh, you know, the, and IEDC was, we work very well with them and uh, work on some tax credits. 
um, you know, I think it's just a great place to, to start a business when it comes to, to, to talent, there's affordability, the cost of living, um, great people. I mean, we've had great people here forever in a, you know, outside of ship center, like, like yourself at tech point and, uh, the, I mentioned Tamar and IADC, I think it, a lot of times it goes back to the people, you know, and, um, I can't, can't imagine, uh, being anywhere else. That's awesome. So it sounds like talent, people, the community has been a big driver, obviously in that decision, but talent has played a huge part in that. There's some of your relationships, both partnerships here and organizations, but also universities as well. For other entrepreneurs that are considering starting their businesses in Indiana, what resources would you potentially drive them towards um, or direct them towards? You've been on this journey, it seems like your entire life with your entrepreneurial background and problem-solving mentality, but been in the seat, um, is running this company for five years. So where that, if that entrepreneur is watching out there that's thinking, that's in a large organization and thinking about saying, hey, there's a gap here and if there's an opportunity, um, what are some of those things along the journey yeah. you would tell them to uh, take a look at? Yeah. Well, I tell them to call me first off because I love entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship. Um, so I always have time talking to those folks. I, I, we got to see more entrepreneurs. Uh, you, you know, I'm worried about maybe you know, everybody's on TikTok too much. So they're, you know, they're not going to go start a business. Go start a business. Heck, when I found out about the cloud, I remember for about, about a month, um, you know, this was, you know, we started building the products and I found out about the cloud. Um, and, you know, I started understanding what was going on. I remember for about a month, I went around and, and talked to people and said, I was trying to tell them about the cloud. And I said, if there's something you want to do, you can do it. You can do whatever you want. You can build it. Just you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And that's, that was true five, six years ago. It's true now. Yeah. Um, you know, you just have to stay the path. And people ask me sometimes, well, how'd you do it? Well, yeah, what do you do? Freaking hard work. It sounds so cliche, but it's hard work. And um, look, talk to somebody who's been there and, and done it. The, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many amazing entrepreneurs that I've spent time with, whether you know, go on, on, on walks and chat. Uh, and we talk about some of the challenges that I have or, you know, or have had, there were ideas that I was thinking about doing that, you know, entrepreneurs love talking to other entrepreneurs in my experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I can't wait till I'm going to have a more time to, that's all I'm doing is talking to entrepreneurs because I want people to know about all the challenges and mistakes I've made and continue to make, um, and, and to avoid those things, you know, maybe be more efficient and get to the, the promise line a little bit faster. But, um, I think you just have to get out there and, and just do it. You know, if you're thinking about it, stop thinking about it and just go do it. I love that. It sounds like the mentors and mentorship has been an entire part of your journey. Oh, I'd say absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you, you got to raise your hand. You got to ask the question. You just got to be, you know, willing to, to take a chance. Um, you know, you'll, you'll find, I, I think that there's, that there's people out there, there's resources, again, past entrepreneurs, current entrepreneurs, um, they're out there, you know, make the phone call, do the research, uh, you know, you, you, you can find those, those folks, you know, call, get with TechCoin, um, right. They'll get you some, they'll get you some interns that can build, you know, the right code. Um, they'll give you, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, some good sales talent. Yeah. Um, but stop thinking about it and just go do it. Call TechCoin. Yeah. Then give it the IEDC. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of local resources in our community, uh, connects us something great, uh, uh, to work with. So, um, just go do it. I love it, Chase. Chase, thanks so much for being on TechPoints The Circuit. And 
Uh, thank you for your continued support of the ecosystem of tech talent here locally and just contributing to um, what makes up the fabric of entrepreneurship in Indiana. We appreciate it. Thank you.